This morning we are going to continue and wrap up the series um, of What Would Jesus Do? And as Leon said, this morning I'm speaking uh, around the topic of indifference. And um, we touched just now on uh, how we are in our very fibre, created to react and respond to things that feel significant, to things that are significant moments, significant um, occasions in our lives. We are called, we cannot help but react and respond. And yet, so for so many of us, what we actually experience is lukewarm. What we actually experience is beige, and what we actually experience is indifferent. And I guess I want to spend a few moments now thinking about how is it that we got there? How did we get to that space? So for example, uh, more confessions from Laura. Um, I will watch or read the news and um, I will scroll through because it normally is on my phone. And rather than heart-wrenching pain or agony or compassion, what I often feel is interest. So I will read what is happening around the world, read how people's lives are being changed, destroyed, how people are being hurt. And it's a matter of interest to me, rather than something that drives us to our knees, as Leon was talking about just then. And somehow, we have become a nation that, um, that feel indifference a lot. We are a nation who has to be entertained into giving. Um, and, you know, there are some amazing, amazing uh, events that happen throughout the year. Sports relief, stand up to cancer, Red Nose Day, children in need, all these amazing different things. But they happen because somebody recognises that unless there's an exchange of entertainment for giving, we don't actually care enough to give on our own. To these needs that are so, so important. Somehow we have become a nation that can watch documentaries on the fact that the world is falling apart, that... um, The ecosystem is on the edge of not being able to be pulled back. We are not able to rescue our world from where it's going. We watch these documentaries and we do very, very little. We aren't moved enough to educate ourselves, but we do celebrate when we throw our yogurt pots into the correct coloured bags in our kitchens. But it's not enough to drive us to change. Somehow we've got ourselves into this space. And before I... um, before I kind of make us all feel horrendous, um, what I don't believe is that indifference is about not caring. I don't think that's what it is at all. Um, And I want to give you an example of that. Um, So I help out with the young people here at church. Uh, I love the young people at this church. I'm passionate about them. I think they're absolutely brilliant. However, um, it's not about you. Uh, Often, This time of year, start of December, it gets cold, it gets dark in the evenings. I come in from work all hungry and tired. I eat my tea on my sofa or maybe watch something on TV. And then it's time to pitch up and go to youth group and be really excited and enthusiastic for two hours. And um, at that moment, when it's time to leave the house, there's a part of me that goes, oh, it would be lovely just to stay here and not bother. And I love you guys. I love these guys so much. I am passionate about them. I have compassion for them. And yet in that moment, something goes to war with my compassion. And that is my comfort. And I believe that indifference breeds where our compassion is smaller than our comfort. Where our comfort outweighs our compassion, this is the space in which we begin to become indifferent. And that's what I want to unpack a little this morning. 
Um, the passage in the Bible that we're going to talk about today is a story that I absolutely love. I really think it's brilliant. And as we go through this story, as we go through this passage in a moment, what we actually see is compassion and comfort going head to head. And as these two things barge against each other and jut against each other, we begin to see some of the effects that indifference can have in our lives. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're looking at a passage from Mark. This is Mark 3. Uh, And we're going to read it together as it comes up on the screen. This is Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to them, hold him, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. In this passage, we see compassion and comfort going head to head. We see how Jesus begins to undo some of the comfort that these guys experience. And so we're going to look at that now. We're going to look at some of the things that maybe indifference causes us to hold in our lives uh, and, and kind of embeds into us and changes the way that we react and respond. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is how indifference affects what you see. Uh, we're going to read through this passage again, just the first two verses. And I want you to have in your mind... If Jesus represents a person of compassion and the Pharisees represent a person of comfort, how does this affect what we see? You see, these two um, people, Jesus and the, the group of Pharisees, they walk into the same space on the same day and see the same people in the same atmosphere. And yet what they see is totally different. So let's take a look at the passage. Okay, Jesus went into the synagogue and again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. These two things represented walk into the same space and see totally different things. The first one, comfort, sees a problem. Whereas a person of compassion sees the person themselves. Here, uh, the Pharisees walk into that space. And the reason that they're focused on Jesus is because in this passage, Jesus is someone who is threatening their comfort. He is threatening their power, the thing that they cling to and gives them status and gives them authority. The reason that they are looking at him is because he is someone coming to challenge the power and the comfort that have led to the indifference that they hold. Whereas Jesus walks in, he's a person and sees something very different. You see, first of all, this guy with the withered hand, he will have been really poor in a number of ways. First of all, this guy will have been poor relationally. You see, uh, we don't believe this now. If this is your first time, I want to be very clear that this is not what we think. But they would have thought at that time that the, the disability that he had his withered hand actually would represent something bigger. In that culture, they would, re- they would believe that this represented that at some point, he or someone in his family had done something wrong, and this was a physical showing of the sin and the bad stuff that this family had in their past. And so people would want to distance themselves from him. Well, we don't want to know someone like that. If I get to know him, what will they think of me? And so this guy will have been relationally poor. 
I believe there's a high chance that this guy could also have been materially poor as well. Uh, if you weren't educated, a lot of the jobs would have been physical jobs, jobs around physical labour, stuff that you do. And so when you only have one hand that you can use to its fullest extent, this would have really limited what he could do to have income. And so he will have been relationally poor. He will have been materially poor. But Jesus saw deeper than that again. He will have seen the spiritual poverty that this guy will have been living with. Because when Jesus looked at this man, what he will have seen and what will have come to his mind was a passage from Leviticus. Hardcore. We're going to Leviticus this morning. And so I'm going to read from from Leviticus 21 for you. Because this would have been in Jesus' mind as his heart broke for this man. Then the Lord said to Moses... Give the following instructions to Aaron in all future generations. None of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect quality, whether he is blind or lame or disfigured or deformed or has a broken foot or arm or he's hunchbacked or dwarfed or has a defective eye or skin sores or scabs or damaged testicles, painful, No descendant of Aaron who has a defect may approach the Lord to present a special gift to the Lord. Since he has a defect, he may not approach the altar to offer food to his God. You see, because of this guy's um, hand, he wouldn't have been able to have that personal relationship with God. His relationship with God would have been by proxy, would have been through somebody else. And so this moment that Jesus walks in and sees him and speaks to him would have held such significance because for the first time he comes face to face with God. That is what compassion does in a situation. But before we give the Pharisees a really hard time, boo the Pharisees, actually the Pharisees were at a real disadvantage. You see, the Pharisees had authority in their community. They had spiritual authority. People thought well of them. They would have been fairly well off. They would have been looked up to and respected by everyone. The Pharisees were actually in a position of privilege. And because they were in a position of privilege, they could afford the luxury of indifference. They were very, very safe. They were very, very comfortable. And they had the luxury of being able to only pay attention to the things that were a threat to their comfort and nothing else. And I would dare to suggest this morning that we are in a position of privilege. And that is an incredibly dangerous place to be. Now, many people this morning may have come with loads of stuff going on. Uh, Maybe it's coming up to Christmas and things financially are really tight for you. Maybe uh, mental health stuff. Maybe uh, you've walked in here this morning for the first time. You're like, what on earth is going on? And what is she wearing those trousers for? I don't even understand what this is, but I do know that I don't feel very privileged being here. It might be that you're relationally really, really struggling. There could have been a whole bunch of things going on for you that makes you feel like you're not privileged. But let me tell you, if you slept last night with a roof over your head, you are in a position of privilege. If you have a bank account, it doesn't matter what figure is in that bank account, you are in a position of privilege. If you can read, if you can write, you are in a position of privilege. If you have a relationship with somebody enough that people will know that you are in this room this morning, that someone knows where you are right now, you are in a position of privilege. And privilege is a very, very, very dangerous place to be. And we see that so clearly from this passage. You see, privilege can lead to comfort until something affects our comfort. And then we realise that we became indifferent. For the Pharisees, they were very, very happy tolerating this man's disability because they were indifferent towards it. Because week in, week out, that guy didn't affect their comfort. 
And Jesus walks in with a heart of compassion and suddenly their indifference is highlighted. So that's the first thing. Indifference affects what you see. But the second thing is that indifference affects your heart. You see, if we're buying into this idea that um, indifference is when our comfort outweighs our compassion, then it can't help but be an issue of the heart. It can't help but be about what's going on. Um, But what I really enjoyed about this passage, what I found interesting as I read it, was what was going on with the two people in question, uh, the guy with the withered hand and the Pharisees. So if we read now uh, from Mark 3 again, it says this. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? As this, uh, this is, a, is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. It was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod and how to plot to kill Jesus. You see, that word deformed, in other translations of the Bible, it comes out as withered. Um, and, and that word withered, what it, it, it refers to is being dried or shriveled. Uh, and it, it fascinates me that when Jesus looks around that room, actually the thing that the Pharisees made unco- they were uncomfortable with was exactly what was, Jesus was angry about in the state of the Pharisees. That actually their hearts had become hard and dry and withered and shriveled. For the Pharisees, the very thing that they became angry and uncomfortable about was actually an outwardly, outward expression of what was going on with them internally. And they were so unaware of their own internal state. And that's what angered Jesus. And then it leads to asking ourselves a really uncomfortable question of where have we become withered and dry on the inside. <laughs> Some of us are withered and dry on the outside. But I'm not looking, I'm looking at the ceiling, I'm looking at anyone. Um, but where have we become hard-hearted? When I was writing this talk, I asked myself a question that made me really uncomfortable. I asked myself the question, when was the last time I got angry or upset and it had nothing to do with me or my own condition? And then I asked the question, and when was the last time I did something about that and let it cost me? And honestly, the answer to that absolutely terrified me. I, uh, for my work, uh, travel around a lot. I really enjoy what I do. Um, I'm all all over the place. Uh, And what I have to do sometimes is I will get a train back to Birmingham from somewhere and I will get off the train, for those of you who are local, at New Street Station in Birmingham. New Street Station, yeah. And, uh, And then I walk through, there's a little passageway, and I get on the train at Moore Street Station and I train back to Rowley. And uh, I do that walk semi-regular basis and uh, when I do that walk, every time I walk that way, what I notice is there are lots and lots of homeless people that sit on that run between New Street Station and Moore Street Station and every time I go through, I think, man, this is so sad. I, I, need, to, I need to connect here. I need to do something here. And uh, I decided, okay, right, the next time I do this walk, what I'll do is I'll get off the train at New Street, I'll buy like two coffees, I'll walk through, take them through, give one to someone, sit and drink a coffee with them and have a conversation and really like try and connect. Um, And I I, I felt pretty good in that moment because that meant I didn't have to do anything in that moment, that was just the next time I was going to go. And so the next time I was going to go, I got off the train at New Street and I was so focused on getting home that I totally forgot 
to buy a coffee. And uh, I walked along. I was like, oh, man, I'm so rubbish. I'm so annoyed with myself. Why have I forgotten to do this? And as I was walking through, I just felt God say to me, Laura, you do not need a coffee to go and chat to some of these people. Just go and chat to them. And I thought about it. And I thought, man, I've had such a long day. And I need to get a train. And the trains only go every 20 minutes. I mean, that hardly ever. And I need to get home. And I need to have my tea. And I need to make tea for Andy. I'll just remember to buy a coffee next time I'm there. And I am so ashamed of the fact that that is what I did. But in the reality of my life, when compassion comes up against my own comfort, my comfort wins out so often. And you know, that's a really easy example of material poverty, but that isn't the only space where that is true of me. Where people are relationally poor, so often my own comfort, me being relationally comfortable, emotionally comfortable, wins out against my compassion for people who are lonely and hurting and broken and are going to really drain me sometimes. And yet my comfort continues to win. So, I believe deeply that this is a space that Jesus would want to undo in me, undo in us. I believe that he would want to soften our hearts. And often the cost of compassion is huge. In this instance here where we see Jesus in this space, what he does is he calls out this man with a withered hand, stand up, come to the front. And he doesn't do that to embarrass the guy. He doesn't do it to make the guy feel silly or small. Actually, he does it to honour this guy. He does it to show that this guy has priority and privilege and a man who shouldn't come before God face to face and should only do that through someone else. This is an intimate moment despite being in front of everyone. Jesus calls him out and he heals him and it costs Jesus everything. Do you know before this moment, the two groups of people uh, that it says in that last verse that come together, before this moment, they hated each other. But the one thing that they could find in common was that Jesus' compassion made them feel uncomfortable. And so they joined forces and they started a plot to kill Jesus. Jesus' compassion towards that man was the thing that ended up costing him his life. And I believe that Jesus asked for us for our compassion to cost us too. And actually, what that looks like for us will look really, really different depending on on who we are and and what we're about. You see, for some of us, our our compassion may lead to death in certain areas. It may mean that uh, we give financially and it really, really costs us. That our God breaks our heart for something, we have compassion for something and actually that thing is the very thing that that means we have to rein it in financially elsewhere. It might be that it costs us relationally or emotionally, that we have to make ourselves vulnerable before somebody who actually we would find it much easier to keep safe uh, and to protect ourselves but Jesus, when our hearts are broken for someone, makes us vulnerable before them. Or maybe for some of us, our compassion is here at church. Uh, For those of you who come here regularly, you know that we are really passionate about people who don't know Jesus being in this space. And if that is you this morning, you are so deeply welcome. But sometimes that's going to make those of us who are really regular kind of uncomfortable. Because we'll face things like the fact that maybe we've been coming here 10, 15, 20 years. And the welcome team never seemed to speak to me. And that's because they're busy speaking to people who have never been before. And you know what? I would much rather that those people feel that they connect and belong in this space than I come here and feel comfortable. And so our compassion can so easily cost us. But I believe that that is what Jesus calls us to. The final thing that I saw from this passage, the indifference effects, 
is in G, um, indifference affects what we have. Um, as we read this passage, for so many of the Pharisees or in that passage, what this was about was about the Sabbath and protecting the Sabbath and protecting the law. Actually, the reason that they wanted to protect the Sabbath and protect the law is because as long as those things were in place, they were still dictating how things were done. This was just a micro uh, example of the macro that they are wanting to hold on to their power and they are wanting to hold on to their comfort. And they go to Jesus and challenge him with this thing to try and take away his authority. And this is one of those moments in the Bible where someone comes to Jesus with a real challenge and Jesus does very well to make them look silly. So we're going to read from uh, verses 3 and 4 through to 6 of this passage again. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit doing good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily, was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod for how to kill, to plot how to kill Jesus. You see, uh, it's true that in this story that the Pharisees were in a massive position of privilege, huge. But Jesus didn't only see them as being in a position of privilege. He actually saw the entire Jewish race being in a position of privilege because God had chosen that race. He'd chosen that people group to have a very specific relationship with. Those people were responsible for showing what God was like to the rest of the world. God cared enough about that nation to put laws and stuff and things in place to protect them and give them rest and keep them safe. And so Jesus looks at these people and says, do you not understand that you are in a position of privilege Jesus asks in this question did God give you this day this position of privilege these resources for life or for death did God give you the privilege that you have to make yourself comfortable or did he give you those things in order that you might be able to make a difference you see however you feel privileged or not this morning the fact is that we are privileged, we have resource, we are free. The fact that we can meet in this room on a Sunday morning without fear of being arrested means that we are in a position of privilege. But so often we can let our own position of privilege lead to our own comfort. Or we can use our privilege to make a difference. I've got a friend uh, and she talks about privilege a lot and she said this thing that really stuck with me, that what Jesus wants us to do with our privilege is to walk into a space find the smallest voice in the room and speak on their behalf. How are we called to use our privilege this morning? You see, the thing about Jesus in this, the thing that united people in hatred of Jesus was that he went into that space and he made them uncomfortable. Jesus was someone who was significant. And so, because of the way that we are made, he creates a reaction in us. It's what happens when we experience something or someone of significance. You know, there was absolutely no room for indifference when people encountered Jesus. We see it all throughout the Bible. Some people met Jesus and went, right, that's it. I will give you absolutely everything and I will follow you. I'm all in. Some people became really sad because they realised that actually what Jesus was asking of them was way too much. Some people got really angry and they wanted to kill him. But what never happened is that people just went, Meh, sure. If we're going to have a genuine encounter with Jesus, then if our uh, reaction to that is indifference, I would ask a question to say, uh, if you can walk away from a space 
where you believe you've encountered Jesus and you feel indifferent, have you really encountered the person of Jesus or you, do you just know the stories about him? Because nowhere in the Bible do I see someone walking away from Jesus and feeling absolutely nothing. This isn't who Jesus is. Jesus is significant. Jesus creates a reaction. And more than that, Jesus feels significantly about you. And Jesus, because of what he felt, because of the compassion he had for you, gave everything for you. And if you're here for the first time this morning, and that is a big thing to say that doesn't really make any sense, then please ask the person that brought you, because they would love to tell you about that. Or find someone in a teal t-shirt. They also would love to speak to you. For those of you who come here regularly, the fact that Jesus gave everything for you is a big deal. Because actually, Jesus doesn't ask for indifference. He asks for absolutely everything in return. He asks for a say in who you date. He asks for a say in how you spend your money. He asks for a say in what you will buy for people this Christmas and also what you'll receive. He asks for a say in how you use your voice, in how you pray. He asks for a say in your privilege and he asks for a say in your indifference. And this morning, from a God who gave everything for you, he asks, will you give everything to me in return, including your indifference? Would you stand with me for a moment as we respond? This morning... Um, we're going to actually respond really gently uh, in a kind of reflective way because I think we can feel really passionate and really excited and leave the room and uh, actually we go living our lives exactly as we did before. It takes God to break our heart, to birth that compassion in us, to really make a change, to dislodge our comfort. And so this morning, what we're going to do is the band are going to play in a second, and we're going to take communion together. Now, if you're here for the first time, what that means uh, is that there's bread and pretend wine uh, down on the tables at the front, and the servers are going to come and, and, uh, and get that ready in a second. And what we do is we take some of the juice and the bread, <laughs> and we have that to acknowledge and to remember that Jesus gave everything for us. But what I'd then love you to do is to, to maybe have the bread and the juice out here and return to your seat and maybe think through what it means for us to give everything for him. Maybe ask Jesus the really brave question, where does my comfort outweigh my compassion? And what do you want me to do with the privilege that you have given me? And the answer could cost us. But I believe that if Jesus wants to undo our indifference, this is where it starts. So I'm going to pray and then I would love to invite you to take communion and then we're going to worship together. But maybe ask Jesus a big question in that space this morning and begin to let him undo some of the stuff that we have built up around our hearts. God, I thank you for our privilege. I thank you that we have so much. And God, we say sorry for where we have taken our privilege and used it to create comfort. In its place, Jesus, would you birth compassion in us. I thank you, God, that you gave everything for us because you feel such passion for us. And now, as we ask you a really brave question around where we have become comfortable, 
would you soften our hearts that we might give everything to you in return. Amen. I'd love to invite you to come forward and take